respeito da vida, que possui, tentam se mudar o mundo, não se associam com ele. Na história da Jewish people, sometimes these rulers, and, and they're called shepherds of the people, they set a bad example. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 21, for the shepherds, these rulers, have become dull-hearted. They have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper in all their flesh and be scattered. And in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 6, God said, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten about their resting place. And you know the attitude that Jesus had for the Pharisees. For this very reason, they're the rulers that are supposed to lead the people to God, and they're, they're leading them away from God. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus said, Speaking of the Pharisees, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So they added burdens unto the people. How do they do this? Well, they took the law given by God through Moses, and they added 613 other laws. And so when you look at Matthew chapter 23, and he's speaking about the Jews, he, he says this, they shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Heaven is just for the Jews. Mm -hmm. And Jesus calls them hypocrites, fools, blind, whitewashed tombs. This is not, this is not how God said the truth foreigner, the truth not Jews. You know that God loves all his creation. Exodus 22, verse 21, you should not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you are strangers. Now we have to understand God's heart. Right? He alone is God, worthy of all praise and worship. Idolatry is an abomination. And sometimes God would command the Israelites to go in, in battle against people, pagan people, and he would tell them to conquer them and destroy all the people there. But he did this protect the Hebrews. Because he knew if any remained alive, they would turn the people's hearts and worship false idols. And that's why he, he told them not to marry them for the same reason. But we see this happening in their history. They would conquer people, leave some alive, and eventually those people would turn their hearts. Think of Solomon. Right? Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, and yet because of pagan wives, his heart turned away. And some have said, because of the, the things God would ask the people to do, that you know the old the God of the Old Testament is cruel, it's hateful, it's a warmonger. Well, we know God loves all of His creation. What He hates is their sin. But we know His desire for that. And Second Peter chapter three verse nine tells us. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all shall come So Adam and Eve walk and talk with God. And their descendants were aware of this. Well, you fast forward to Noah, and how is the world? Well, this is what it says, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the 
thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God's going to destroy every living thing in the world, except for Noah's family. But he gives the people an opportunity to repent. Now, it took Noah 120 years to build God and the power tools and electricity. And there was basically eight people working on this thing. And it's huge. 120 years. What was he doing during this time? What was going during this time? In 2 Peter, he's called a preacher of righteousness. During this time, facing the laughter of the people, mocking them, he warned them, turn from your sin, repent, and be saved from the coming judgment. How many people took him up on that? <clears throat> but God always offers mercy and repentance. And we see examples of, uh, of two pagan women, Ruth, right? She was a Moabite. She came to know God as a Savior. Rahab, a harlot, she became a believer. Non-Jews who became worshippers of God. And I mentioned the Jewish religious leaders, right? Leading people astray. They're, they're the shepherds of God. The leaders of the church today have the same responsibility to teach the truth and to guide people on the right path. And sadly, not as many churches anymore sharing the whole counsel of the Word of God. They're being taught the most important thing is that you're happy. You feel good about yourself. You're not sharing about the seriousness of sin. And God accepts you no matter what lifestyle you're living. And children are taught horrible lives. My wife and I just became aware of a book and I want to let you know about this book if you have children or grandchildren in public schools. Uh, there's a service called Scholastic Book Service. They had it when I was a kid. I love it. You get this thing and bring it home and pick the books you want. They still got it. So there's a, a book that's being offered from this club called Conversations with God. But its subtitle is An Uncommon Dialogue. So that should give you a warning. And in this book, it's kids asking questions of God. And God answers them. So one of the questions is, this, this uh, girl says, how come I'm a lesbian? And God says, I made you that way. Celebrate who you are. Uh, another question says, I live with my boyfriend, and my parents, they say that I live in sin. And God says, we're not to judge. But the worst one is, somebody asked about, what's, what is this thing, forgiveness of sin? This is the answer. There's no forgiveness of sin, because there's no sin. There's no right or wrong. And so this book is being sold, and our, our daughter Sarah went on Amazon to see the reviews, the book reviews, and she said, they had people raving about this book. Oh, it's the greatest thing. It's in the library. Is it libraries yeah. too? Okay. Now, this is not a conversation with God. This is a conversation with Satan. Amen. Amen. This is a spiritual thing. And like my wife said, you know, Satan disguises himself. This is what's happening here. So just, just be warned. You know, it's an attack of the enemy. It's a spiritual fight. And in Ephesians 6, it tells us, we need to take a stand.
this <clears throat> James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. We need to be people of prayer, praying for the people of our country to turn from their wicked ways and turn to God. <coughs> so let's look at a brief history lesson. Who are the Jews? Who are the, the Hebrews, the Israelites? They're a special race of people. God specifically created them, created them to be special, his chosen people. One day, he would send his son to be born, fully human. What ethnicity, what ethnicity would his human parents have? Well, we would have to be people that worship God, right? So, God created this race of people. He spoke to a man named Gabriel, and he told him, you're going to be the first. You're going to be the start of a new group of people. He's find this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. <coughs> now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. Now tell them where the land is. I'll show you what's going to be. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. And that happens because the descendant from Abraham, Abraham, is Jesus Christ the Messiah. So, there's this new group of people, God's people. This is called Abrahamic covenant, an agreement between God and man. God made a similar covenant with Moses. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 to 6. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you should be a special treasure to me above all people for the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a king of a priest and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. This is the Mosaic covenant. But notice three things about this. Number one, it's not made with the whole world. It's made with the house of Jacob and the children of Israel. Secondly, it's a conditional covenant with the Jewish people. He said, if you will obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you will be blessed. The covenant is dependent on Israel's obedience. And so if they were obedient, God promised that Israel would be his treasured possession among all people. So look at all these things about the Jews. Great things said about them. King David acknowledged this unique position God had granted them in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 23 and 24. David said, Who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people who you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations of your gods? For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. <laughs> so even though God has, did create a special group of people, as I said, that loves all mankind, He desires to have a relationship with every, everyone. So when Jesus came, 
the basis for a relationship with God changed. Jesus is the long-awaited promised Messiah. And all the prophecies showed who this person would be. And they were all fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But when he came, what happened? The Jews rejected him. The ones who were the rulers and many of the people. And so God temporarily sets them aside as the chosen people. And now, chosen people are those who accept Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus became the way for us to know God, to have intimate fellowship with Him. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and the Jews of Jesus' time, they had a hard time accepting this. They've lived for hundreds and hundreds of years believing non-Jews are unworthy. It, how was created for them? And we even see apostles, the apostles struggling with this, the dissension that arose from Paul reaching out to the Gentiles to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. You'd think they'd be happy about this. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? How could you do that? That's horrible. But we know that Paul had a vision. Remember the, the great sheep lowered down from heaven. And in this sheep were all unclean animals. And three times God did this. And three times he said, Paul, rise up and eat. And uh, Peter said, he refused, he said, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And then when he said this, Acts 11, verse 9, but the voice answered me again from heaven, when God has cleansed, you must not call God. And God's trying to show him something. It's not about food. It's not about food. It's about people. See, God's Mercy and gift of salvation is for all people. For God so loved the world. And so now we have this, this mystery that uh, Paul is explaining on Ephesians chapter 3. Gentiles, fellow heirs, part of the same body, partakers of the promise. And we're going to speak later about the great benefits we receive from knowing Christ, but for now, we we'll focus on those two things, fellow heirs and partakers of the promise. Mm -hmm. Turn with me to your peace to Romans chapter 11. Mm -hmm. Verse 11. I say that have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. For through their fall, speaking of the Jews, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Israel's rejection of the Messiah does not end God's plan for them. In fact, God used this, says that they were provoked. And saved Gentiles do this because of the spiritual riches we enjoy. See, Israel today, they're spiritually bankrupt. Mm -hmm. 
all we have called spiritual blessing. God's I'll use this for the moment. I'll be jealous of Verse 16 and 17. For the first fruit is holy, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were bare to them among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the holy tree. So the olive tree here is the nation of Israel. Those who inherited the promises made to Abraham. The wild tree, that's us. Gentile and Christian. And we were grafted in. We were supernaturally connected. I love that. So you could say we're spiritual Jews. Because we're children of God. And we're a chosen special people. Kathy's grandfather, I think I talked about it before. He had, he had a tree, a pear tree, whatever. And then he got a branch from a cherry tree. And he cut a notch. And he stuck it in the pear tree. And he grafted it from the cloth or whatever. And it took the root. So he had this pear tree that also had cherries on it. It was grafted in. That's how we are. We're grafted in to become the chosen people. So, back in Ephesians chapter 3, and in my Bible, this chapter is divided into three sections. Verses 1 to 7 is the mystery revealed. Now we're going to look at verses. 8 to 13. The purpose of the Gentile being salvation for those who believe. Let's read verse 8 to 13. To me, when less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all seem as a fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to attempt that now. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access, boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He's going to share about the grace of God. He's going to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And let people know that disciples of Jesus are chosen people. Those who have believed on Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And, and th those words, unsearchable riches, means beyond finding out, beyond comprehension. But look what they include. Understand who we are in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Love these verses. But, Peter writes, but, you Christians, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why did he make, give us all these, these blessings? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, the light you were living before Jesus, into his marvelous light. For once were not a people, but are now people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And, and verse 9 here tells us, many great descriptions of who we are now. 
once we embrace the redemption that's available to us. And he says, Peter says, we're, we're people of God. That's what the Jews were known by. That's what they pride themselves upon. We're people of God. And God spoke to them. Think about it. They, they saw miracles with their own eyes. The, the, the sea being parted. Water coming out of a rock. Manna coming down from the skies. A pillar of fire. A pillar of cloud. They witnessed impossible military victories when they were so outnumbered. But many of them rejected the promise inside. So salvation is extended to us, all mankind. And sadly, today, many Jews are still waiting. Still waiting. I remember we were on a plane one time. We were coming back from Germany. <coughs> a huge plane. And there were these Hasidic Jews on the plane. They're all over one corner. They're standing there and talking to them. And I want it so bad. I'm not so bad to go over there. And very pleasant to say, um, I know the Old Testament, he has a lot of prophecies about who the Messiah is going to be. Uh, I think about 300. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one. Mm -hmm. And just see if that answer. Uh, I mean, I took it out. I mean, it's right there. It's in there. The book that they studied, the Torah. But there's hope for them. God has not abandoned the Jews. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, Paul said, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. If blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them, and I take away their sins. Blindness has come to them. They've been blinded. Their hearts are hardened. Only temporary. And when Paul writes, all this will be saved, it doesn't mean that every single Jew will be saved. It means that the nation as a whole just as the nation right now as a whole is rejected. There, there are Jews who have embraced Jesus as their Messiah. They call Messianic Jews. But the age we're living in now is the age of the church. But when this age ends, God will once more deal with the nation of Israel. So, in, in uh, Ephesians, verse 10, he writes, to the extent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church consider principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We are to make known the manifold wisdom. And that word manifold means beautiful, intricate. We are to make known this new relationship of Jew and Gentile into one body. And who are we to preach this message to? Interesting. Principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Angels. The Bible states that they are interested in us, that they watch us. It's not just people watching us, it's heavenly spiritual beings. <laughs> Verse 11 and 12, Paul writes about we have boldness, we have access 
with confidence and faith in him. Remember, even among the Jews, no one had access to the presence of God. This on Yom Kippur, holiest of the Jews, holy guys, David told me, one of the feasts when all Jews were required to come to Jerusalem to celebrate, and on that, that day, only one man, the high priest, could enter the Holy of Holies, come before the presence of God, before the mercy seat, to intercede for the seed of the people, to pour blood upon the mercy seat. What privilege is being given to us is our faith in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. <laughs> Seeing then that we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help the time of the For the Jews, one man, the high priest, once a year, come before the throne of grace, which is God's primary favor. We don't deserve heaven. We can't receive it by any kind or number of works. But we can come before the throne any time, anywhere. I hope you appreciate it. That we never lose the sense of amazement of God giving us his gift. And it's something that he desires we take advantage of. Right? In Sunday school, we're studying the names of God. And last week, it was the name Abba, Daddy, Dad. And that's the intimate name for Father. That's the name we can use for our Father. That's who God is to believers. He's a loving Father, Father who desires intimate fellowship with us. So, Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 7 was a mystery revealed. Verses 8 to 13, the purpose of this mystery, and the rest of the chapter, verses 14 to 21, is the benefits and the gifts that come from this mystery. Verses 14 to 16. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, be strengthened with might through his spirit and within the man. So there's the history. The whole family. It includes people, angels, all those who love God, the faith of Jesus. And again, here's the, the riches of his glory. Remember, we talked about unsearchable riches. We're going to learn about a few of them here in this section. And he says that we're strengthened. Strengthened with might through how? Through his spirit. And the greatest gifts that can be the spirit. The presence of God, the person of God, that he dwells us. You know, we, we speak of God always with us. Yes, he's always with us because he lives inside us. I mentioned Romans 5 5 many times, one of my all time favorite verses. And it speaks of God as pouring his love into our hearts, but also there's much more in this verse, Romans 5 5. 
Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So here we have the love of God poured in our hearts. That's an awesome gift. There's another great gift, the Holy Spirit. It's how he pours his love. And so we can appreciate the awesomeness of this. It's how we can say Jesus lives in our hearts. The Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He dwells in our hearts. And so wherever we go, we bring the aroma, fragrance of Christ. We bring the presence of Jesus with us. And as I study the word of this verse, I need to realize something. I need to be more aware of this. But Jesus is in me. He lives in me. More cognizant of the fact that not only do I want people to see Jesus in me, but by the words I say, the things I do, they should be, should be motivated by the fact God loves me. He's the one who should be inspiring the words I say. He's the one that should be giving me the motivation for the things I do. And as the Bible says, we do everything what for his glory. Unfortunately, we get this thing about free will, and we get the awful power to quench Holy Spirit. Verses 17 and 19. They first begun their hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, will be able to comprehend with all the saints. It is the width, length, depth, and height, and all the love of Christ which passes knowledge, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And gives three descriptions of this love. Rooted and grounded. That's the result of the unrestricted access we have to Jesus, the one who is our Savior and Lord. We become rooted and grounded love. Paul uses two words here to describe one speaking of farming and one speaking of uh, building structure. Like rooted. The root of a plant provides nourishment and growth. If the root's not good, the rest of the plant's not going to grow. It's not going to grow. Our roots are love. The love that God has for us. A love so powerfully and beautifully demonstrated so vividly to us on the cross. And Paul says that we're grounded in love. We're really love, we're grounded in love. Then we've got the foundation of the love of God, supporting the whole, providing strength. One person said, Love is the soil in which our life must have its roots, and it is the rock from which our faith must ever rest. What does a life that is rooted and grounded in love look like? And it's a life where love is the way of life. And the life of love is a life of kindness, selflessness, sacrifice, humility. It's the life Jesus lived. It's a life that should be shown in the need. Verses 18 and 19, Paul describes here the love that Jesus has for us. And he gives the dimensions of it. How wide, how long, how deep, how high, four dimensions. 
And to come to any understanding about the kind of love God has for us, you've got to go to the cross. They said the most vivid, physical sign of his love for us. And interestingly, the cross points four ways. Up, down, God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to mess with all of him. God's love is deep enough to lead to a worse sin. And his love is high enough to take us down. And Paul here says, again, we come across this unsearchable, right? He says, it passes now, same thing, beyond understanding. As much about God is. In the Bible, we're told several times, who can know? Who can know? The mind of God. Romans 11, 34. Or who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Remember, God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Praise God. There's a guy whose thoughts are higher than mine. Mm-hmm. Best thoughts. <laughs> Who can know the mind of God? Who can know the peace of God? Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, here it is, which surpasses all understanding, will guide your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. It's a peace that's so profound, so amazing, you can't comprehend it. There's a lot we don't know because God is so much higher. Who can know the power of that? Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. It's a power that spoke the universe into existence. He started with nothing and ended up with everything. Jesus was really misunderstood. People not understanding why he came, not understanding many of the things he said. The good thing is, no, we don't have to understand that. But what God wants us to understand, relatively easy. Our condition is people, sinners. The result of being a sinner, death. And what did God do to spare us from that faith? Jesus. Simple. That's what it's simple to share. And Ephesians uh, verse 19, Paul talks about being filled with the fullness of God. What's that mean to be full of God? I get people told, tell me, you're full of it. <laughs> I want to be full of Jesus. And the word of God reveals the abundance of gifts that God. We've been talking about not only the abundance of his gifts, but the magnitude of this of God. So I got a couple of quotes here. One, it says, All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in the Lord Jesus. The more he dwells in our hearts by faith, the more we are filled unto all the fullness of God. You can never be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a goal, it's a goal for which we move. And a man named Clark said, Among all the great sayings in this prayer, this is the greatest. To be filled with God is a great thing. 
and be filled with the fullness of God, it's still great. And to be filled with all the fullness of God utterly bewilders the sense, confounds the understanding. In other words, it's another mystery. But, if Paul says that you can be filled with all the fullness of God, I believe it. Verse 20, mm. chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above, above all that he asked of thee, according to the power of the works of us. Mm. And exceedingly abundantly. I think everyone, most everyone has had this experience. You go to God with a need, with a desire, and the answer comes, and it's beyond what you thought of. Beyond what you asked for, beyond what you even thought of. You know, we have a need, someone else has a need, we're here, we're here people. Who better than God to go to, go to with our needs and desires? And this is what happens. You ask for a dollar, he gives you a million. <laughs> you ask for a dwelling, he gives you a mansion. And if you don't get it in this world, you're going to get it in the next world. Okay. We ask for help with sickness, he gives miraculous healing. How many times have you heard about this? Someone has a financial need and they pray. Is a check in the mailbox for the exact amount. <laughs> Most people didn't pray, Lord, please send money into my mailbox. <laughs> I prayed for a wife. I didn't pray for dad. Because oh. <laughs> in my mind, I would have been asking for So, you know, that's why we should never hesitate to ask of God for things we think are impossible. Because he's the God of the impossible. No, you think of a prayer for someone's salvation. There's always a guy who says, this guy will never get saved. He'll never get saved. You share, he's been rebuffed and rebuked. He's told you, get away from me. Is there someone that you can think of saying, no, that person will never end up being there. Jesus one time was telling uh, the disciples about the difficulty of a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. He said it's easier for a camel to go for the eye of needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And so his apostle looked at him and said, well then, who can be saved? And Jesus' answer was, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I've learned something over the years. Not to limit God. Ask for the impossible. See, when we, when we say this, I'm asking for the impossible, what are we saying? It's impossible to us. We don't see any way that it happen. It's not impossible to God. You may not get it, but it's not because God can't get it. As Jesus prayed, Remember, everything we pray, we pray according to his will. And Paul said, according to the power that works in us, that word is dunamis, and we get a word dynamite. The power that works in us, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God who dwells every believer. It's the power who's constantly working in our lives, seeking to produce the fruit of a Christ-like character, 
rebuking us because of sin, that's a good thing, guiding us in our prayer, inspiring us in our worship, directing us in service. The power that works for us. And verse 21, the next verse here. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Jesus be the glory for all things, right? Anything good we have in our lives is because of Jesus. And so rightfully so, we give him the glory now. We're going to be doing it for all eternity. Because he is worthy of all glory. All praise and honor. So, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, a mystery reveal to us a beautiful thing that we we become now followers of Jesus Christ we become chosen people together with believing Jews one body then show this mystery so we can share with others the, the great truth okay? believe in Jesus Christ you become a special treasure a special treasure a child of God Holy, royal priests, all those great things. And then, as we've seen, unsearchable riches, uh, things beyond knowledge, beyond comprehension, things that pass knowledge. They're just, they're just too much. God is too much. And you know what I would say? If we can understand everything about God, He's not much of a God. <laughs> Someday, we'll get this.